Hello, everyone. Welcome to um, the True Potential Do More With Your Money podcast. Uh, my name is Jamie Sexton. We're on episode 53, so just over a year of, of podcasts now. Uh, I'm joined by a, a star panel. Um, I think you recognise a few of them. We've got Mr. Neil Johnson, uh, George Bell and Earl Glasgow. And we're also joined by a, a special guest today, uh, Gerard Duxby, one of our wealth management partners. Jed, I think... Um, we know everyone else. Uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you were True Potential? Yeah, I uh, I started working with True Potential uh, in 2012. Uh, I've uh, been a financial planner since 1994. And uh, I suppose uh, my daughter would be disappointed if I didn't say I'm a fellow of the Personal Finance Society. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, we've got two fellows because Earl, yeah. Earl's a fellow as well. So got oh, two on today. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I always wanted to be a financial planner uh, from the age of 19. Um, I, uh, I did maths at university, uh, did, trained uh, for four years uh, as an uh, article as a, a training chartered accountant and then uh, came into financial services and uh, and um now uh, i i suppose i have uh, around about 300 clients and uh, i really enjoy it love it it's, it's jed what's the uh, from your point of view you've we've obviously we're back in lockdown now um we've been locked down previously how have you found it with your clients in terms of um adopting a, a zoom method or, or or teams or whichever you've been using how have you been engaging with your clients well it's took a a little while uh, to get used to it on on both sides on on mine and theirs uh, uh, but I'm certainly used to it now and and so with they I don't find it much of a of a hindrance uh, certainly saves uh, saves the planet fuel wise and uh, it can be it can be quite frustrating with uh, with some of the some of my older clients as you might imagine uh talking them through uh getting on getting the technology sorted uh, yeah but but overall it's been time saving because we're not traveling so from a, a business perspective it's it's not been a hindrance yeah i, I think from a from a business perspective there, there has been some positives of, of forced change which is that as you say the, the fact that you don't have to travel and you'll have a meeting via via these sorts of technologies. I think that's been a real, that's been quite a positive. And I'm not sure we'll ever, we may go back to some face-to-face types of meetings, but I think this could be the new norm moving forward, um, unless everyone gets out of lockdown and just is dying to see people. Uh, but we we just don't know. Um, th- thanks, Jed. Uh, so we'll just uh, we'll just go over to, to George now, just our our standard comedy. George, we've obviously got the announcement of the uh, new vaccine this morning, so I think that's, that's number right. four. Uh, built in our very own um, Middlesbrough, I believe it's going to be produced. Um, so the no- the Northern vaccine, we should call it. Uh, but I don't know if that'll have any effect with the markets this morning, George. But just give us a, if you could just give us a little bit of what's happened uh, this week um, and, and what you expect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been a, a very unusual week and I'll explain a couple of reasons for that. If we look at global equities, we'll put this into context. Global equities pulled back around 2% on the week. In the UK, you had similar levels. Mid-cap names outperforming the larger cap, FTSE 100, slightly there. But in the US, again, similar levels, down around 1.5%, 1.7%. The NASDAQ, which is more tech-focused, outperforming similar levels across Europe and in Asia. Bond markets offered a bit more support. You had yield levels um, on government bonds, which came in. Um, UK gilt moved in from around 0.3% to 0. To 8% on the 10-year, so moves in. That's positive for prices in the US. You had sovereign yields move in from around 0. Point, or 1.08 to one spot uh, 0.4 there. So a little bit more muted the activity within the bond markets, but for a multi-asset portfolio providing that support, you actually had positive returns in US corporate bonds over the week there. So we need to have the two sides in con- uh, context there when we think about a multi-asset portfolio, which our investors, of course, do hold. Currency markets, you had a little bit of US dollar strength um, over the week on a trade-weighted basis. So one of the indices which Jeff will refer to on morning markets is the Dixie Index. 
that was uh, demonstrating a bit of strength, reversing some of the trend which we've seen over the last few weeks there. And you had sterling up against the dollar from around one spot three six to one spot three seven. I think a key area which caught investors' attention over the week was the activity which we experienced in the equity markets on Wednesday. One particular stock drawn attention there was GameStop. Now, GameStop is a US high street company who sell video games, they sell consoles, a bit like a, a blockbuster type model in the UK or game is, is the company which is still around. Very much focused on the high street, a business model which has become dated. Um, and a lot of uh, a lot of analysts were, were anticipating this. It became apparent that a number of the large hedge funds in the US were, were actually shorting this company's stock. It was expected around 30% of the stock which was outstanding there was held by hedge funds. And when a hedge fund shorts a stock, essentially what they're doing is they're borrowing shares from other investors. They pay a fee for this and they sell those shares on the market. So for example, they sell those $10 a share. They then have to return those units to the investor at some point in the future, but they wait until the share price falls to say $5 a share. Then they buy them back. They give the borrowed shares back and return those to the original owner and they hedge, the hedge fund pockets the profit there. So that's essentially how short a stock works. And that's what they were doing. The reason for that, well, the, company, the hedge funds were expecting the companies to struggle financially. If we look at um, you know, how, how this really caught attention, it was discussed at a number of forums. And so you had a number of non-institutional investors, essentially people probably people who are not working at present in reality, trading on mobile platform accounts. So they were buying shares, they were buying call options to drive the, the price of the, the stock higher. And this really caught um, the attention of people like Elon Musk, uh, the, the, the chief executive of Tesla, um, who, who really added wind to the sales there with his tweet. So the stock which was listed on the New York Stock Exchange was up, it's up over a thousand percent year to date. It did 350 1% from Monday to Wednesday close. So it was a real stick it to Wall Street trade with the, 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 the option buyers on the retail side really driving that price up. The reason it creates turbulence in other markets, because we're just focusing on, on one name there. There was a couple of examples over the week where they did hold traded on there. Is because if you think about the hedge funds, whilst they're short stocks such as GameStop, on the other side of their book, they're long other areas of the market, other stocks which they do like. So if they have to cover the losses in stocks such as GameStop, they've got to sell the positions which they are long. So it creates that, that volatility within the broader markets, which you did see. So the markets weren't necessarily immune, despite just seeing the movement in that one particular stock. You had a bit of a bounce back in trading yesterday um, after you had the restrictions imposed on the trading of those particular stocks. You had the S&P adding around 1% back up there and you saw volatility come down. But I think it really did just highlight the importance of diversification within a portfolio. It also highlights the importance of active management and the ability to avoid a, a number of these traps and navigate around them. It was also an interesting week for central banks. We had the Federal Reserve out on Wednesday maintaining their support for markets. You had interest rates to remain zero bound, asset purchases to continue at the current rate. So buying $80 billion of bonds a month, $40 billion of mortgage-backed securities. That program isn't going away anytime soon. It will be there until the Fed feel that they're meeting targets on inflation and employment. So the concept is really to create favorable lending conditions to stimulate growth and provide liquidity to the market. And that continues to be a theme across central bankers. I discussed on morning markets last Friday, the decision from the European Central Bank as an example there. You also had the IMF report. The IMF report increased forecasts for, for global economic growth uh, from 5.2% set in October to 5.5%. This is for 2021. And China and the US were, were too forecasted to, to see stronger growth come through. China being a country which emerged from a very strict lockdown in the early days very well, and the only developed market to actually post a positive economic growth return last year. The US, on the other hand, have, has remained very much open but have been stimulating to a huge extent. We've got an additional $1.9 trillion on the table with the democratic package there, which is expected to come through, though the timing is, is a bit challenging at present. As a team, I think one of the things which we have really been 
focusing on is the recovery will be uneven. And we've been discussing that on, on many levels. Different regions will resume activity levels at different paces. It's something which we monitor very closely with our managers and in, in the positions which they have. And it's very much dependent on access and rollout of the vaccine. You gave an example there from this morning, Jamie, but the IMF was citing the challenges of, of this and citing the challenges which this could present within Europe and the supply chain constraints, which we've seen widely discussed this week, and also the emerging markets. But one thing that is sure is we are moving closer towards targets of, of governments in terms of vaccine rollout. There's a number of countries there which are leading the way. It's all about getting the supply chains to operate as efficiently as we can. And the additional approval of vaccines is, is very much key to that. I'm just trying to focus on it on a few areas here, Jamie, um, which we, we've really been focusing on. But I think just one thing I'll, I'll, I'll finish off with is perhaps looking at the earnings of companies, which is really where analysts get their guidance. It's really the, you know, the, the what's really happening on the ground in terms of companies. And we've had a number of earnings reports from Europe. We've had a number of earnings reports from the US, around 170 of the 500 names in the S&P 500 have reported. And generally, generally what you're seeing there is positive surprise. So reports are beating analyst expectations. Expectations were for a bit of a decline in growth, but there's a number of firms which are surprising to the upside. If we look at the firms which have been supportive or sectors which have been supportive, you've seen a lot of upside surprise in financials and technology. So some of the names which we hold on a direct basis there through managers such as Goldman Sachs or Close Brothers, names such as Apple or Microsoft, what you're seeing there is revenue growth quarter on quarter of around 17%. And if you think about Microsoft, it's, it's quite an astonishing figure. That's 14 consecutive quarters of double digit growth, which they're seeing coming through. And it's translating into to their earnings as well. You're seeing, you're seeing earnings growth coming through at a, at a similar rate in Microsoft, for example, you've seen earnings growth of around 30%. So it's been a really interesting week in terms of movements which have been stimulated by platform accounts and, and retail traders, um, central bank policy, vaccine development, but also earnings as well. So we've got our, our next round of manager calls coming up. Um, so we'll, we'll, we're sure we'll have some interesting discussions on there, which we'll bring back to, to the podcast. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, George. It's, it's interesting. I thought the days of um, a tweet changing the market were over when uh, Donald Trump got his Twitter account to take it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's certainly a, a, a different environment. It's something which you know, we, we, we've been looking at and, and I think a lot of it, as I say, is to do with the fact that um, you've got more people taking an interest through individual mm. trading accounts. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. That's great, George. Thank you for that. Uh, very interesting. Um, so today's uh, podcast, just sort of getting back to the theme, um, we had a lot of, we asked um, clients questions that they may have. We had a lot of questions regarding um, IHT in terms of inherit inheritance tax and, and how you can work with that and more about later life planning. So we thought we'd designate a, a podcast and a question session to um, to this specifically. So we've got quite a few questions um, from some, some clients. Um, we've all got some, also got some specific uh, areas that we think we should cover. So Jed, I'm gonna start with you if I may. Um, mm. So we had a question from Melanie, which was, was very clear. It was, how can I reduce IHT on my estate? So I think just from a, a, a when we say IHT inheritance tax, I'll, I'll, I'll try and not use the abbreviations. But can you just explain from a high level to clients, um, especially what is what is inheritance tax and, and how should you consider it when you get into sort of later life? Well, um, it, it's it's a, a tax on the value of your estate uh, on death. And uh, it's uh, it is uh, it's it's quite a penal tax with a, a rate of. 40%. Um, but uh, I find with with my clients, I've, I have a very long term relationship with them. And it's something that you, know, you have a, a, an awful long time to address it. So um, there is the saying that it's a voluntary tax, uh, because you don't have to be in a position, uh, ultimately, on your death. Uh, where your estate is in excess of the allowances that you have. Uh, and you have a, 
a, you know, a single person has a £325,000 allowance. Um, uh, if they own their own home, then they have a residence nil rate band of up to 175000 as well. So that's 500000 potentially. And if they have a partner or a spouse and they have the same, then potentially you've got a, a million pounds worth of assets you can you can pass on. Um, and you've got uh, your pensions too. Anything that you've got left in your pension funds, you can pass that on. Um, so the, the allowances for the majority of the population are generally reasonably sufficient. And, and it is a choice of what assets you want to hold on your death. And, and there's, there's plenty of time for most people to plan to reduce it or eliminate it. And, and it is, you know, it's as a financial planner, it's, a, it's, you know, it's an interesting long term game to play with your clients, which is which is let's manage this away if you want to. You know, to what extent do you do you want to get rid of it? How important is it to you? What kind of priority is it? And, and obviously, as, as people get older uh, and, and or the estates are growing, it becomes an increasing priority. Uh, and, and obviously, for when people uh, be, have a reduction in their expected longevity, um, so you know maybe some bad news health-wise, uh, um, uh, or the partner might uh, become ill or die, uh, and these are all these are all times when when inheritance tax is going to increase for people as a priority, as it will do over time as the amount of years that you expect to have left reduces. Yeah, thanks, Jen. I think it's it's one of these things where the value of people's property has tended to to bring them in bring them in line with it. It was something where when property value goes up potentially and that's why we saw the um the property nil rate bank come in, which has, has helped towards that. I think that's the, the key asset that people sometimes potentially forget about um in terms of being included in your estate. And I think it's it's interesting you mentioned it. It's from a an inheritance tax perspective. It's uh, it's forty percent from a tax basis. And Neil, just just coming across to to you, I think as a looking at, at COVID, it's it's cost us a, a significant. It's cost the cost the country billions, if if not more, in the future. We'll we'll see the true cost at the end of this uh, pandemic if if we do when we do or if we get there. The budget's coming up, and there's been talks from from the chancellor of changing different. Um, sort of different tax rates and which tax rate will be effect to actually cover the cost of this. And kind of just looking for your view, for our viewers, really, just to understand what, what your thoughts are. Well, you're right, Jamie. I mean, you know, the government's borrowing more in a month than they would in a full fiscal year in the past. So it is, it's a dramatic increase. Um, and as, you know, as, as the pandemic extends, you can see month on month, this is layering up. Um, so yes, budget day, 3rd of March. So all looking forward to that. Um, I think, there's been so much speculation and, and trailing of potential changes and this has started a lot earlier than the normal you know the back end of last year obviously the report the recommendation coming in to the chancellor saying well look at look at capital gains was one particular aspect which certainly you know piqued our attention because you know there's an element of should CGT capital gains tax rates be more aligned with income tax rates? So instead of being 10% for basic rate taxpayers as it is currently and 20% for higher rate taxpayer, um, you know, should that be aligned up more towards 40% or 45% for higher rate taxpayers? And you know, I think the 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 issue with CGT, I think from from my perspective, this is if people are investing and then um, you know perhaps selling investments certain times because they require that income or if they've built up a business and a bit like our business if we've got a lot of shareholders a lot of the staff for example the shareholders and then ultimately some of those shares are sold um you know you look at an investor they've already paid tax on that money they're investing you know they've paid income tax it's a net amount they then invest if they then realize that there's another tax on top which i think everyone would accept it's fair to levy a tax in that way but when you start saying, well, instead of 20%, it's 40%, 45%, um, you know, it does seem excessive, certainly from my viewpoint, to start saying you bring that level much higher. I think the other thing to bear in mind on capital gains tax is 
is the Laffer curve, where clearly there's an inflection point. You know, the higher the taxes go, the more people actively try to avoid them. So there's definitely a question that at 20%, I think people are prepared to pay the tax. If you increase that to 40 or 45%, you know, a lot of people will, will go to great uh, lengths to, to avoid that, that level of tax. So, you know, it changes behaviour and they may find perversely that even if they double the tax rate, the tax take could actually go down. Um, and that's certainly what a lot of tax experts we've been talking to have, have been saying to us, that, that that will probably hold true. So there is that, you know, the, the, one of the headline figures there, I think, was this idea of capital gains tax being dramatically increased, which, which would be very unwelcome. We'll have to see what he does. I think the other areas, you know, the, the government seemed to be hamstrung by their December 2019 uh, uh, manifesto when they were saying, well, we won't increase the headline tax rates, uh, you know, across particularly things like income tax. And, they, you know, they're, they're sort of sticking to that. But I think income tax, they'll probably look at, uh, you know, things like, well, not increasing the thresholds, not increasing the band. So over time, as earnings increase, though earnings haven't increased much this year, of course, so that doesn't hold so much this year. But in general, if you, if you fix that, then you, your tax take will increase on income tax. You know, you've got national insurance lurking in the background, although I don't, again, I don't think they'll do much with that. But the direction of travel, Jamie, seems to be, you know, higher paid individuals, wealthier individuals. Um, can we levy more tax? And obviously this other idea, which does seem, certainly the press reports have been reading over the last couple of weeks, this idea of a wealth tax does seem to have drifted away a little bit. Um, you know, there was a proposal saying, for wealthy people, 1% of your assets each year for five years, which, you know, isn't even a sort of one-off tax. It's, you know, it's just a recurring one. And again, I think, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that's been sort of scotched within HMRC and the Treasury, where they say, well, people will just try to avoid that, um, you know, even if we try to backdate it and pursue, you know, people will just go offshore uh, and, and not pay that. So I think, you know, it's, it's a balancing act, isn't it, for the Chancellor, because He's got this. He's going to have this big overhang of debt. Currently, that's being financed at historically extremely low interest rates. But ultimately, it's you know it's still a major issue in the long term. But in the short term, you don't want to hit people. You don't want to hit businesses. I mean, you, you know, the other things I read at the weekend. This idea of um, you know for self-employed people. Well, you know, this perception that somehow self-employed people. Have, are paying less tax or getting away with something, which clearly they're not, you know. And, and I think, you know, this idea of oh, well, let's, you know, increase taxes on the self-employed perhaps because maybe they're, they're they're paying a bit less. It's a real misapprehension that one. I think, you know, and in these and self-employed people, you know, a lot of those people with the small businesses, you know, they're the people who are going to drive this recovery. So don't start hitting them with extra tax at this stage. So I, I think Jamie on balance. I'm hoping it's going to be a relatively status quo budget, nothing too dramatic, um, and and a, but perhaps more of a signalling of a direction of travel that says, well, over time, certain taxes are going to have to be at a higher rate. Um, I mean, the other way to do it, which was something that Sunday Times economics editor suggested quite a while ago, is you know you almost ring fence this slice of the debt. A bit like a war debt, you know. We only we only repaid the Second World War debt in 2006 when Gordon Brown <laughs> paid the last one away. And in a you know in an environment where you get a bit of inflation over time, which you know George would say that you know may see some return to elements of inflation in the economy, then you know you've ring fenced this debt, and over time it becomes less onerous. So that yeah. certainly was an interesting idea. I haven't seen that taken up by many commentators, but. You know, you almost treat it as a separate item within government debt, uh, and and you know just deal with the normal fiscal calculations, and then you've got this you know big item to deal with in the longer longer term. So that's what I think, Jamie. I mean, I'm not you know I haven't got a crystal ball here, and, uh, and we've got a couple of meetings with the big accountants over the next couple of weeks to see you know what they're guessing and and what they believe um, will happen. But I think there's quite a lot up up for grabs. Um, and we just hope there'll be nothing too dramatic. Certainly, the capital gains tax thing, I think, would be a very negative, um, a, you know, a very negative move yeah. for, 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 well, for everybody. 
Yeah, I think it would definitely be taking the negative Neil. I think what we'll, we'll, we'll most likely probably do a, a session or a podcast on as we get close to the budget uh, with the likes of yourself and uh, David and just give views on that as, as we get closer and we, we understand more information on it. Um, right, okay, just uh, just skipping back to the the questions again, uh, Earl. I'll I'll give I'll give this one to you. Um, we've had a question from David, which is basically what happens to my uh, money when I die. So obviously we're aware of you know every time I look at a client, I advise them to to take up a will. I think just just giving an understanding of, of actually what will happen if you if you don't have a will and why it's so important. Um, yeah, very important, Jamie. Um, look, if you if you die without a, a will. The way I explain it to clients, things just freeze, um, and it's very hard now. Even with a will, you know, I've dealt with two estates in the last three years, um, and it's certainly not a very quick process, right? Now, what a will does it allows the the executors and the solicitors, obviously, to get into probate and to distribute after they complete a long list of tasks, like get your inheritance tax calculated first to make sure the revenue sorted out, um, and even pay your income tax and pay a list of bills. And once all that's sorted out, right, then they can distribute what the will says to the beneficiaries. Um, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't have a will, then it's a bit more complex, you know, to go and search and, and make decisions themselves. Um, you know, if you want to distribute assets outside of a will, then the main two things for me is you need to use trusts, which means that, you know, you've, you've gifted the thing already. You've got a trustee to look after the asset and they're going to give it to the beneficiary so it sits out, outside of the estate so you can get that money or that asset to the individual that you're nominating but you know but the good thing about a trust is you don't give them control right away you know you can keep control of the asset and then they can get it at when the, the trust kicks into place and the other thing of course is pensions you know pensions sit outside they don't go into your your estate either so you know, the trustees of the pension scheme, I think Neil's the trustee of the true potential pension. You know, he, he deals with this every day with Mark and, and Brian, where, you know, people pass away, they have to decide, you know, the nomination of beneficiaries and make sure who gets that money. But, it's, you, know, it's, you know, a will is very important. Without a will, it's very, very complex. Even with a will, you know, it, it takes, it can take a long time. You know, I've seen these things take six months. The worst one I dealt with was two years um, because it was quite, complex um but without a will it's not good at all because they don't even know and then you have the usual things in a family which is you may see the the whole family break down <laughs> have a bit of a discussion about it. i thought i was getting that etc yeah it's um it's it's really important i think actually that you made a point there just about the the nomination form for the pension so yeah. you, you can on your website complete um a nomination of beneficiary um, as clients for your for your pension, and Neil, I think it's coming to you as a trustee. And yes. we talk about this quite a bit. How important is that? It's it's absolutely vital, Jamie. I mean, the main evidence that the trustees will always go on is the expression of wish, which is the form within the pension. And when you set it up with your financial advisor, they'll make absolutely sure, you know, that you have you have that expression of wish. But you know, if you brought other pensions across over time, you might have a range of pensions. Um, just make sure, you know, contact your advisor or as you say, Jamie, you can go on our on our website. Um, check that you have got the expression of wish in place. And and once the trustees have that, it's it's clear. Keep it under review as your circumstances changed. Um, I just changed mine recently because I redid my the wills last year. Um, and one of the things we looked at was if you're, you know, in future, I mean I've got I've got three kids. At the moment, my expression of wish was 100% to my wife. And one of the things I've put in is I've actually put 97% to Heather, to my wife, and 1% to each of the kids. And if, um, you know, over time, if, if let's, you know, let's say I did pass away, um, when that comes to trustees, if Heather wanted to say, actually, I don't need those funds, it can go straight to the kids. Because they're named on the expression of wish, the trustees can just take that direction straight away and you know we can sort these pensions out in in very short time scales. Um, conversely, I mean, sadly, in recent months we've we've had it, we have had more death cases. You know, it is quite sad. You know, arising a lot of that out of COVID, and we do see cases people don't have an expression of wish, they don't have a will, and it is a, it's a bit of a detective forensic exercise to go back through the family, 
um, through the solicitor if they have one, through the financial advisor, and say, you know, what what was this individual's wish? And as Earl's touched on there, you know, you get it, you get cases where the, the family may disagree. And if there's nothing written down, there's no expression of wish, and there's nothing in a will to go on, you know, it's it's very hard to make those judgments, and that can take a lot of time. And you know, some of the family may ultimately miss out. So I, you know, I can't reinforce it enough. The expression of wish um, on all your pensions, you know, legacy ones, that, you know, just get that together. Have a chat with your advisor, message him, uh, message them, and and you know, make sure that's all in place, just in case. Because for the trustees to say we can just act on that immediately, and whatever you wanted to happen can happen straight away you know right you know right through the probate but without that yeah it, it, it's a big problem yeah great Th thanks neil as i said if you, you you can do this via your site but if you if you wish to look at that in a bit more detail speak to your advisor or, or give us a call we'll be happy to help you and, and show you how you can do that um jed just just going across to you when I, when i speak to clients a lot of the um sort of as they get an older they actually like the idea of, of gifting some of their money um, so they can see their children benefit from it rather than um, wait until they die and it's, it's, it's basically given on inheritance. So from a gifted perspective, what's the rules around that and, and in terms of what are the options if, they, if clients wish to do that? Well, there's quite a lot of, uh, there's quite a lot of misconception uh, amongst clients, I find. Uh, people, people are always saying, I believe I'm only allowed to gift an amount, um, uh, about £3,000. And people are getting mixed up with with the annual gifting allowance for inheritance tax, um, which says that if you gift £3,000 to anybody in a year, that it's gone from your estate. And in the event of your death, it won't be added back. It's just it, it's gone. That's your allowance. Um, but uh, but people get mixed up with that and think there is a limit on how much you can gift. Uh, the UK is quite different from most other European countries in that there is no limit on how much an individual can gift to another person outside of their estate, that being the, the, the children um, uh, or gifting further afield. Uh, say if you were in France, uh, there'd be a gift on, there'd be a tax uh, on the person who received the gift uh, here there isn't and, and it's a it's it's quite a big difference I, I was talking just uh, just last week to uh, a, a UK domicile person in, in Singapore and uh, and they hadn't really realized just how how much scope there was to to gift money away and reduce their estate that way but it's not just about reducing their estate it, it is about you know the about actually the identifying assets that you're never going to need in your lifetime and then just making that sensible decision and saying you know what's the point of me keeping hold of this if if somebody in the next generation if my daughters are gonna uh, can make use of this then the sooner that you do it the better because if you were going to invest it say um, then if they do the same, then that investment growth is outside of your estate. They can also just, if they were taking income from it, they can you can see them benefit from it. Uh, and so gifting is a really good idea and, and I absolutely um, applaud it uh, and applaud it doing it at the earliest opportunity. Um, I talk there about really about outright gifts uh, people might choose to make gifts into trust say for example um, not everybody wants to gift um, gift a significant amount of money directly to say young people or or children who are in a relationship that seems like it it, it might break down um, and in that case that's where you use a, a trust uh, and you might gift money into a trust and in that case you'll still retain control over the assets uh, and it'll be up to you to decide when they're distributed. Uh, so uh, 
gifting is gifting is very very important uh, you can also make gifts uh, on the marriage of your children and grandchildren and those will also fall outside your estate for inheritance tax uh, but otherwise any gifts whether they're into trust or whether they're directly to um, to your other members of your family they'll be added back to your estate if you die in the next seven years and they'll be included in the inheritance tax calculations so that's why it makes sense to do it sooner yeah, or later definitely thanks thanks jen i think you mentioned a couple of times there about trusts and earl spoke about trusts as well uh, and and i think it's it's important for to people to understand that trusts give you that option to really specify what you wish to do with that money at some point um and there's some you know i'll maybe take this across to, to you earl um, because they can be used initially where you're saying as you said you just want to you don't want to give the money directly to someone but you give people that option to say well i want to set it as an income or i want to make sure that that individual gets it on deck or i might you know so there's, there's there's many options there. i don't know if you want to just give us a little bit on on that um yeah but look what, what a trust enables it you know somebody sets up a trust they can get somebody else to look after it so i was i've been a trustee several times and even one of the estates I dealt with lately, um, I forgot that it was a trustee. Um, but, it, you know, the, the gentleman set up a, a whole of life policy or a term assurance um, with an insurance company. You know, and actually that was the first thing that paid out because, you know, it was paid out in death. It was in trust, which was a very clever thing to do. And the, the family, the son got the money, you know, as soon as the insurance company paid it, which was, I think, some five months ahead of the estate actually getting wound up and getting the rest of the money. So it shows you the speed of the trust. Um, and that was a simple life policy that said, you know, on death to be 200,000 paid. Now, if that hadn't been written into trust, Jimmy, that would have formed part of the estate and the solicitor would have took that. And actually, when you go back to what happens on death, you know, that it, it was a bit nerve wracking that one I dealt with because there was a lot of assets held by the, the gentleman and, and the wife you know, he had a lot of stuff in his own name, not many joint accounts. And actually what, what shocked her was that actually even the joint tenancy of owning a bank account or owning assets jointly, right? The solicitor stepped in, froze the bank accounts, and that was it, right? So when you've seen the power of joint tenancy and the power of the use of a trust that can put things outside of a state, not even in terms of inheritance tax, but just basically, you know, getting money quickly, you know, you can't emphasize you know proper planning speaking to somebody like jed and understanding you know how do you set things up properly in trust what's the benefit of joint tenancy on bank accounts or assets or residence you know we'll talk about long-term care in a moment but you know making sure the house is in joint names but you know the trust just sits outside the estate and means that if you want something to happen you've got trustees to look after it so even on death there's somebody there to look after and distribute the trust assets and it's quite simple. There's all loads of different ones, loan trust, discretionary trust, bear trust. You know, we, we could spend a whole podcast on that and put people to sleep. But essentially, you want to set it up. You put people in charge of it who are the trustees. So on a pension, it would be Neil. We could corporate trustees look after that. And then you just nominate your beneficiaries. Um, and the trust kicks in when you want it to kick in. So if you want to give them something, but you want to create a space of time before they get it because you don't think... Years ago, we used to set up simple policies in the company I worked for, saving plans. There were children policies, but they were bare trusts. Basically meant you just invested in something and they didn't get into the routine. Um, and it was a great way of doing it. So they couldn't take control until that time arrived. Um, some of them wanted to do it to 21 or 22 because they thought at 18, they still wouldn't have enough sense. But it was essentially set up in a trust. So. Lots, lots of planning and lots of reasons to talk to Jed about not just him taking the money off you, but taking it off you in the right way and setting it up, you know, to make sure that things work out the way you want. Yeah, I think that's um, it's it's definitely it's definitely important, especially when you get into that that later life. Just uh, most people on death want to ensure their assets are, you know, that that person that they leave behind is is kept well and. And they get the assets in a timely manner. And I think that's why these sorts of things, thinking about them now, and it's not, you know, it could be you think about them early, but it's actually really important just to sort of plan that out. And speaking to a planner about that is 
it's something that we we would highly highly recommend um right we've got a uh, we've got uh, one more one more question here. we we obviously see you know we, we discussed this last night but we've got we have a and it's in terms of a horizon in terms of care costs and it's something that comes in in clients minds um quite a lot in terms of paying for care in the future and how that's facilitated um i suppose how would you how would clients prepare for this um from your point of view both you've had a few i know your, your wife's heavily involved in in this sector yeah so just just giving some understanding of how clients would potentially prepare for that well look even at the moment we can see the advances of science you know we're, we're hit with a what's basically a bug quite severe bug um we've got a pandemic um and here we're coming out with vaccines you know and you know my gp once said to me you know people are living to their 80s now or, and that was basically down to him um i think he was taking a lot of credit for that in terms of medical you know advances in the last 30 or, or 40 years probably the biggest change you know in northern ireland ireland is you know you know years ago you never seen a thing called a nursing home you know there's sometimes there was the odd old people's home and they recall that and the people in there were maybe 60 odd so it's not looking good for us except for george but um you know you have two types of homes you know and if you get old and you don't have people to support you you know there's a, a, a lot of these out there so you've got residential um on average is 600 pound a week and the other thing is right across the uk it's all different and how things are assessed so on average in the uk it's 600 pound a week and if you need a nursing home because your activity your your, your ability to look after yourself you need more help you've got nursing homes which is you know 800 pound a week and i've got there's one round here that the wife's been telling me a lot about which is starting to give me concerns or actually you can pay 150 pound a week more and apparently it's got a jacuzzi and a bar and a lot more social entertainment so it's 950 pound a week so i wish you would stop talking about it but look if you've got assets you'll be expected to pay for it right and there'd be you know she works in the social care sector where they're assessing these things all the time um and if you've over 23,250 pound you'll have to you'll have to fund that out of your assets if you're below 14,000 then you'll get help from the authorities to do that you know when you get into a residential or nursing home you give up all your income your pensions any of your state benefits you're allowed to keep about 23 pound a week and personal expense allowances um but in saying that a lot of people that get into nursing homes i think the average i've read is they're in there maybe 12 months right so you know it's not where you're you now some people stay in a lot longer but it's not that you're going to go in there but you know, if you talk about inheritance tax at 40 percent you know if you're in a nursing home at eight nine hundred pound a week and you yeah you top that up you know there's 40 odd thousand a year right that's going to deplete into your income um and the thing people worry about think jimmy is their home mm -hmm. you know will i have to sell the house and again the safeguards there if you're if it's a joint tenancy and somebody's living in it or you've got disabled children or relatives or people over the age of 60 that depend on you so you know it's it's a bit of a minefield in terms of means testing um but you know you can't take you can make planning do planning about it um and mm -hmm. speak to somebody like jed you'll plan that and distribute the assets etc now the thing you can't do and I'll, I'll say this you can't once you think you're going to go into a residential or nursing home you can't simply start giving the assets away at that point because there's a deviation of assets and they'll take a dim view of that and maybe demand the assets back so it's one of these things where you know you need to sit down and plan it like your inheritance tax your trust planning and work out what you're going to do about it the fact of the matter is if you need it you need it and i'd also say about inheritance tax you know you need to live you, you spent your life you know accumulating money to be comfortable in retirement and you need to be comfortable in your your last days as well so it isn't about giving away all the money and then you, you end up in poverty you know it is about saving hard accumulating money and then when it's needed it's needed if you if you're going to have to pay well then get one at 950 pound a week where there's a bar and a lot of social <laughs> entertainment and have a, a really good time in the last few few years well that sounds it that sounds like um, potentially Anne maybe trying to get you in there. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. It's just, well, at the moment, I think she's trying to get me back to the market in Newcastle. 
she's had nine months of me at home, which is the most she's seen me in in twenty odd years. But you know, she's moved on from the Marriott to the nursing home, so it's looking good for me. She'll definitely need a break. Brilliant. Well, I I think to be honest, we've had some uh, very good questions there. Thank you to everyone that's, that's brought the questions. Uh, sorry, that's wrote into us and asked that. But hopefully, we've given a little bit of um, a little bit of taste of of what you can do. And and I think just to you know, take back to speaking to your advisor early about these things. If you have concerns and you want to put plans in place, it's, it's really important. Uh, I think hopefully if you do want to speak to your advisor about them, give them a shout. If you want to speak to, to us, give us a call and we'll be happy to sort of, you know, put plans in place and, and help you and support you. We're here to, to help you with these things. Right. Well, just um, just in, in typical style, just before we finish off, um, rather than ask what people are doing at the weekend, um, what I thought I'd do is that We've probably got four the 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 fittest um, people from True Potential um, on the uh, podcast today, and and what I would like you to do is just give us your top fitness tip for being in lockdown. What are you doing? And and I I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna be able to guess what it is. But we'll start with you, Neil. What would you give to our uh, viewers in terms of a a top tip for keeping fit during the lockdown? I I think you know try and get out of the house and go for a run or a walk. You know get some get some air. Because I've on a cage, I've made the mistake of just being in the house several days running, and for all I've got a exercise bike, it's, it's it's not the same. So for me, I think it would be, you know, try to and you can do you know Zoom classes and all that. I, I, for me, I think you get a lot of value out of going out. And of course, right now, when you can actually see somebody else, you can go for a run with somebody else, and and that, that kind of covers my whole social life as well. It's about <laughs> all I've got. But that that would be a tip for me, Jamie. Yeah. We've actually just so people know we do have some um, some fitness classes on our YouTube page that people can use from Dauntless Fitness. It's yeah, actually it was something. It was some excellent things that we did right at the start of the pandemic and continue, which is is paying a you know a local trainer to do um, some videos for our staff and we've shared them with with clients. But they're they're fantastic if you want to have a, a little look at them. Um, if you want to have half an hour of pain, it's worth it's worth looking. Uh, Jed, you look a, a man of, of fine fitness. I've I've witnessed you on your bike in, in Italy or around Lake Garda before on Instagram. So tell me what you what do you do to keep yourself fit? Well, uh, every Saturday I go to Aldi. <laughs> I time myself going around to see how fast I can do my shopping. <laughs> see if I can beat my personal best. Uh, that is a challenge, mate. That is a challenge getting around Aldi in a, uh, Aldi, sorry, in a specific time. Uh, it is. It's very challenging. And uh, aside from that, um, aside from that, we we will get out and do a nice walk at a, a weekend, and that burns a, a good few calories. Um, but um, but like Neil, uh, getting out, doing the odd run, um, even just watching uh, Mrs. Duxbury is exhausting. To be honest, that seems to burn a lot of calories. She's at, she's out every day. She's does an awful lot of exercise, um, so uh, I can't light a candle to her. She she does about five times as much as me. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I'm I'm the same. My uh, my wife is on these hit classes a lot more than I am. Um, Earl, I spoke to a client in your town about about a year ago, and then they he said to me he knew you because. Basically, everyone knows Earl Glasgow in that town. Um, and he says, you're the running man. You're the man that he says running with the headphones in. Is that is that true? Well, I, not as much as it should be, Jamie. I, I think, you know, what, one of the things I've noticed in this lockdown is whilst this digital technology is good, you know, it's not uncommon to do a 10, 11 hour day <laughs> because it's just too easy to communicate with people on Zoom. Um, so you, you tend to get into bad habits. You know that I need to get up the running, but I, I tell you what I did do, or I got a, you know, Santa brought me a Fitbit smartwatch. Well, actually, I have to tell a lie. I got it for Father's Day and only put it on at Christmas. But <laughs> um, it's actually it's actually quite good because it scares the life out of you how little how little active you are. And I would say to anybody, you, know, you can get these things for a hundred odd pound. You slap it on your wrist, it tells you your sleep pattern your heartbeat, you know, I'm worried it's going to tell me something I don't want to hear someday. But, you know, when you, when you get to four o'clock in the day and you've only moved three or four thousand steps, you know, you get home at night and then 
the wife says to you, what have you done today? Oh, and then she says, oh, you obviously have been sitting around all day doing nothing. Um, so actually having something that gives you a target, I found quite useful because I have to think to myself, well, this is no use. I'm going to have to go for a run or a walk or do something. So actually it's a bit of a, a nagging ant on my hand here, but it's, it's quite good. I didn't think it would actually tick it as well as I have. I've got the um, I've got the Apple Watch, and it's one of these things that I now find it. If I can't record it, it's pointless doing. So if I can't record me run because the Apple Watch is dead, then I won't do it because I can't tell everyone that I've just done this run or prove it. And I think that's that's quite common. I don't think it's that's unusual. Um, and George is George is nodding along there because he's definitely uh, he'll be on the bike this after uh, this weekend. I would think. What's your tip, George? Uh, I think as as Earl and Neil said there, you can easily spend a lot of time behind the screen in, in lockdown and the day can very quickly disappear. So my tip is to get it out the way in the morning. So I like to wake up early, exercise, and you can see see the daylight coming through. You can get out in the daylight for, for a short period of time. And then when I've finished, when I've shut the laptop down, I normally go for a walk at night. I think one of the things I noticed, I've got a Fitbit as well, and I bought it about this time last year, and how easy I was doing 10,000 steps a day, mainly just walking around head office, um, because it, you forget it's a, a big place and you're up and down them the, the, those flights of stairs uh, more often than you think. So when I came to working from home, I realised just how few steps I was doing. So the, the Fitbit keeps me honest and it's a, a target um, yeah. every day to, to try and hit that. I don't always hit it and I try and, you know, as, as Jed said, I, I, I try and make up for it on the weekend, um, whether it's getting out on the bike or going for a walk or a long run or something like that. But um yeah, my, my top tip is is get it out of the way in the morning. <laughs> uh, George, I, I don't know if I remember this rightly, but did you once go for a run at a night time and um, accidentally fall over? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, about... yeah. Thanks for reminding us. I've uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I I I attempted the same route the other night um, with a bright ahead torch and a little bit slower. But yeah, I, I had a bit of an incident which in uh, involved a. A steep hill, a dark, dark lane, and a big pile of uh, cow muck. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we'll not, George, we'll not ask any more. I think we'll, we'll definitely <laughs> do what's happened there. Well, thank you very much, everyone. Thanks to the panel. Um, thanks, Jed, for your first appearance. Um, we'll definitely have you back. Um, thanks, everyone. And please um, subscribe and click like on the, um, on the YouTube. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you very much. Subscribing to the True Potential YouTube channel is quick and easy. Simply go to your YouTube app on your phone, type in True Potential and press the red subscribe option. You'll then be notified as and when new videos are released.